This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. everyone to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I'm Norman Lau and I'm so excited to be here with all of you for our second show for 2016. Thank you everyone on the Babel Conference and everyone who's been sending in voicemails and emails. Thank you for all of your supports. We really appreciate it. Ken, Jeff, and I just truly appreciate everyone's positive feedback. And that just gives us even more fuel to get this party started. So before we begin... I just wanted to introduce this illustrious panel of guests that we have tonight. Uh, and as always, we have my esteemed co-host, Mr. Ataz, Jeffrey Harlan. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm uh, just uh, getting over a little bit of a cold or something, but uh, otherwise I'm uh, at the top of my game. Uh, you're saying that looking... you brought in the winter from the Atavacron and back? Oh, yes. Is that what um, you're saying? You know, I, I just, you know, hopping between time periods, you know, really takes you out of you. Uh, you know, you got that uh, Atavacron leg. There's nothing worse than a temporal flu. I'm telling you right now. But, and Jeff's with us, and I'm thrilled to introduce our two guest stars for this show. And they're no strangers to the world of Star Trek and Star Trek podcasting. And Jeff and I are fortunate to call them friends. We have Portal 47's very own Dr. Trek himself, Mr. Larry Nemechek. Larry, welcome to Standard Orbit. Well, thanks for having me. But I, I wanted to ask you, are you still calling this the Constitution class Standard Orbit? Or are you calling it like Constitution 2 or the refit? Or I think that's probably going to have to be a poll for all of our blue beamers out there. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think refit, phase 2, Connie 2... I'm not sure. We're going to have to earn that. I think we're going to have to I just, that I just moniker. thought that's the important thing that any tech head would want to have straight. We're still shaking down the ship. You know, we've, 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 we did scratch the paint a little bit on our first outing. So, but we're, we're, we're getting there. We're writing the ship in the shakedown. <laughs> well, Jeff, I was going to say too, if you would, if you would sterilize those discs for your Tavacron, you might not, you know, be spreading the germs so much. That's a little tip I passing along. You heard it from Dr. Trek himself. Anyway, this is going to be fun tonight. <laughs> and, and we have from Mission Log, John Champion. John, welcome to Standard Orbit. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I was a little confused, Norman, because uh, whenever we do a show together, we usually have to start it off by talking about what we're drinking. This is true. Um, that's, that's that other show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think um, later on down the line, as long as we are drinking something that is either scotch or something that is green, I think we're still in the... <laughs> 
in the essence and in the spirit of the original series. So we are, and we usually we talk about Bond. So this is going to be this is going to be some uncharted territory. I'm for sorry, us. I'm just having yeah, coffee right. and yeah. a little styrofoam cup painted silver. <laughs> That's is that okay? Okay, yeah. also, also in the spirit, also in the spirit, my chicken soup and coffee. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll just say the uh, the blue drink I am drinking. It is definitely not Romulan ale because that's illegal. Um, that's right. It might very well be Andorian ale because that's also blue. Mm-hmm. So we have a wonderful show for all of you guys tonight. Um, it's going to be a little topical and at some points even controversial. And I didn't want to shy away from the topic tonight because I think it's something that's really important to talk about in fandom. And I'm going to read something to all of you. This is going to set the precedent for the show tonight. It's from the Webster Online Dictionary, and it is the definition of nostalgia. And once I read this, you're probably going to understand where I'm going with the show. Now, the full definition of nostalgia, there are two parts to it. One is the state of being homesick, but that's not what I want to talk about. Two, a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for return to or of some past period or irrevocable condition. Also, something that evokes nostalgia. Now, the subject that I'm talking about tonight is the power of nostalgia and how that influences our perception of the original series, either for better or for worse. And as you, for all of our listeners, I want you to kind of let that soak in a little bit as you're listening to this podcast, because I'm sure that all of you out there have experienced this dynamic in your fandom at least once or twice when thinking about not just the original series, but how it applies to your reaction to Star Trek today. So the first question I'd like to ask for all of our panelists tonight, what are some of your most powerful memories or your most powerful memory of the original series that nostalgia continues to influence? Larry, I'd like to start with you first. Okay. Well, I have some nostalgic moments. I'm trying to f- decide what you mean by um, affecting fandom today. I, I mean, I've told several stories on the podcast. Like my, I owe my Star Trek to my ninth grade science teacher. Yada yada. Um, I remember the first time I got called a Trekkie was at a bookstore by the clerk. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I still have all my. I have my dog-eared Bejo Concordance and Tech Manual and all that um, poster book. Um, and I could say, you know, I met my best friend forever, mutual best men, uh, uh, does all my logos for all my projects. Ke- Kevin Hopkins, when I organized the club in, in college and the organizing meeting and we met the first night, you know, we were doing that. And I met my wife at a convention, all those kinds of things. Um, nostalgia. See, I – this whole thing, this wave the last few years um, – well, let me let me go to this. It kind of kind of grew out of this. When the J when the JJ movie came out, I I was a witness to the people in the rerun era, the fandom bunch who thought that Spock had been bastardized in the third season. There was a group in the seventies and eighties that would talk about how they didn't accept the third season because Spock had just been he would never do that with Droxine. He would never do that with the Roman commander. Yada yada yada. He'd been totally. Uh, ruined, and they just didn't include the third season in their you know canon. And then of course we had uh, the people that protested, uh, took it back, I think, later, but protested Spock being killed. We had the huge, very vocal fandom, even before Internet age and social media, of the people that that were protesting the next generation because it wasn't Kirk, Spock, and McCoy before they saw it was going to happen. And a lot of fans just totally tuned off. But it was like the next generation kind of laughed because it was, you know, five to ten times more fandom and numbers than the original series had ever had. 
So you're right, and and then and then things start splintering. But then you have the same thing with DS9 and Voyager, and oh my God, Enterprise, Star Trek is about going forward, not backward. So, uh, but all of those debates, I was just kind of to me, Star Trek was always books on the shelf. It was more, you know, encyclopedia volumes on the shelf, and it was really something. And I partly it was because I wasn't involved with the behind the scenes like I had grown to be for 15, 20 years. But when the J because they were so secretive and no one that's worked on Star Trek before is working on this movie. So when the JJ movies came out and I was not alone in this, uh, starting with the studio screening that we had, I remember looking at myself with some queasiness <laughs> My head trying to overrule my gut and say, okay, no one – I did not wish for anything to fail for Star Trek because that would just be fodder for the critics that thought Star Trek was already old and tired and yada yada. And I really had this internal battle with myself about have I finally become the cranky old get off my lawn, you kids? You know, the mm -hmm. cranky old guy who couldn't accept the new. And it took me a while of processing. And I could appreciate the casting. And I always said that. And there were a lot of, you know, obviously big budget. It was, it was the production value and the finesse of it was, was wonderful. But there was still something in my – and I was a little queasy about Uhura and Spock. But then I even said, well, you know, they played with that in the beginning and it's an alternate universe. You know, the alternate universe was the ultimate caveat. But I went through a whole process for the first year and I finally kind of came up where I didn't hate myself for not just wanting to jump in and – chase everybody down, interview them immediately and all that because to me – and it gave a it kind of a, uh, an overview of how I looked at the whole franchise, I guess, as more of these things are coming up and as I'm getting older and as we have people at different stages of their life and their family coming together. To me, it just finally comes down to math and numbers. And, and I felt okay because I said, well, this JJ, this is fine. It's well done. I'm just – I want it to do well. I want to see if this is – but you know, this is where the course is. This is where the politics and the flow of karma and Hollywood right now are. It doesn't do any good to scream and yell about it um, and to step back and maybe find what you can pull out of this. But I'm not going to feel bad about that being my reaction because I'm human and we had 737 hours of, of prime over here, which you know evolved in its own way. And um, – and this has been two hours on film. And how can you fall in love with something when, you know, when there's that big imbalance? Now, that doesn't address the new kids coming up, and this is the first time they've seen anything. And, you know, right. glory, hallelujah, that's what they're seeing, and they're falling in love. And so much of the, you know, going back and finding the old episodes. So to me, what my coming to terms with the JJ verse was, and the fact that this is, and, and I had said this for a long time, this is where Star Trek could go in the future. We don't, we've had such an interruption of continuity here, you know. That um, that this can happen, and the, we'll get we'll get to this later on. But um, it's 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 um, I was listening to any thought. <laughs> but it's it's well, going to be about uh, we'll get to talk about this later about the core values of Star Trek and all that. But um, right. Different people are going to see it different ways, and, and there'll be that kind of judging. But I, I don't feel bad about not being as excited about this, even though I'm – or I'm intellectually excited. I'm not emotionally excited. How about that? I'm not spiritually emotionally excited because you can't, you can't undo your life, and you can't undo where you are in life compared to Star Trek. And, um, right. But, but as far as a reaction and a, and a broad reaction, to me, it's a lot of it's math. And so we're going to talk about some of these reactions of general fandom. If, if we've got longtime fans who are reacting badly, and there are a lot of – 
high profile people that work in the franchise that reacted badly and they've kind of come to terms with it too that I know of. I mean, that's it. And I guess I don't know how much of it's, we can talk about this, how much of it's going to be sucked up in nostalgia per se. Um, because it's kind of like, well, I'm just, if, you know, it's like I had a car wreck and I broke my back and I can't walk anymore. Well, am I homesick for being able to walk or is it just kind of my natural status? Well, I think the first, well, I think the so first I'll leave thing, that I'm at that. And, 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 but yeah, that's, I mean, the, that's yeah, I mean the, the first thing is, and I want to pass this over to John. John, when you and I were talking about Standard Orbit and I told you that I was going to be um, inheriting the show from Mike and Drew, and you asked me a very interesting and pointed question. It's like, what are you going to bring to the table? In standard orbit, that's going to be different than what came before. And that's the, this is the very first thing that I wanted to talk about, even though I didn't talk about it in the first show, because we were trying to set the standard of what we we're going to do. So I wanted to talk about how nostalgia shapes your perception of how you appreciate Star Trek now, from when you first started watching it, how it's influenced your life. And to continue the question that I asked Larry, does Star Trek, does the nostalgia for the original series, because you've covered it so intimately with Ken on Mission Log in your first, obviously, 79, 80 episodes, how do you feel about it as it is a filter of basically your life? Do you still cling on to how it positive? <laughs> you didn't say <laughs> that. It, it, it's hard for yeah. me to segue from that, from that word. But right. Is it hard for you to not use it as some type of a barometer and a value set for how you perceive Star Trek today? Right. So I, I think that the, the cool thing about Star Trek's staying power uh, has been that the, there's always this hint, this glint of, of nostalgia for anybody who grew up with it, no matter what. And and even if that's a small factor or a very large factor in our enjoyment, that's fine. Um, but what I realized going back to rewatch it for Mission Log is that the number of times that I've seen those episodes over the years, I got to bring my present day point of view back to that show. So I grew up at a time that I, I was very lucky that I was a kid when it was that period that the original run was over, but the animated series was out and and kind of almost over at a certain point. And then people were anticipating Star Trek, the motion picture. So to me, Star Trek was uh, this sort of this combination of the TV series, the cartoons, all the Mego toys and all the merchandising that was around in the mid 70s. And then this this fierce anticipation and then getting to see Kirk and Spock on the big screen again. And, and this all happened when I was really young. I mean, Star Trek, the motion picture is out when I was seven years old. So that that idea, that sort of world that I grew up in and having Star Trek just around I could come home and I could turn on the TV and see Star Trek in some way, shape, or form on TV pretty much five to seven days a week. And Starlog had Star Trek on the covers more often than not throughout the 70s. Um, and the toys, and I could walk into a five and dime store and there were the Amigo figures or there was this or there was something else that, you know. So all of that was around me quite a lot. And then I'm a little bit older and I'm in my teen years and that's when I first started going to conventions and I was creating this new circle of friends who were really into Star Trek but also into other things that I was into, Star Wars and James Bond and 
uh, Flash Gordon and Lost in Space and just all this other stuff that geeks really get off on, you know? Um, and then I kind of got to rediscover Star Trek again years and years and years later after college, after I'd kind of just been out of the loop for a long time. And I saw it as something that, that yeah, through, these, through this nostalgic look at it, um, it was something I remembered that I enjoyed. I remembered that I had really liked all this stuff when I was a kid. Fast forward a few more years and it becomes this sort of job that I've got but the best job in the world where I get to watch and talk about Star Trek. And through each one of those iterations, I get to analyze and look at those shows in a slightly different way. Ken and I have this pretense we're watching it sort of for the first time. We may acknowledge that we've seen a show before, but we try to separate it out and say, okay, what does this really say? So that's a different kind of watching than I did five or 10 or 20 or 30 years ago when it might have been something that I was into, or it might have just been sort of background noise because it was always there. So the nice thing is that no matter, no matter where I am in life, and no matter what intensity I want to bring to watching Star Trek, the nostalgia is there, but it also changes because my perception changes. You know, the, the, what I'm getting out of a show gets to kind of ebb and flow depending on what I want to bring to it. And I've always said on Mission Log that that's a sign of really great art, that if it's a book, if it's a really terrific book, that I can read it once at one stage of my life and read it again five or 10 or 20 years later and get something else out of it. Or maybe it's not a completely different message, but maybe my perspective has changed enough that there's more nuance to that story than I was getting before. So... You know, I, it was hard for me to think of a specific moment, um, but there are so many moments. And I, I, as you were jogging my memory, Norman, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the first convention that I went to. And I was thinking about the, the first kind of high ticket item that I bought, which was uh, a fan made phaser. And, and it was not cheap. It was a couple hundred bucks, you know, but I still have that to this day. I think I got it when I was 14. And it was sort of the thing that, that I would put out in my room and go, okay, yeah, I, I had all the toys when I was really little, but now I've sort of graduated into the stage of getting the really nice high-end sexy props that I can show off. Yep. You know, um, <laughs> yep. and I'm still doing that, <laughs> right? We all are. Big boys, new toys. So, um, yeah, so I, I think the idea of viewing something through a nostalgic filter, that, that will always happen. But I think the nice thing is that no matter who I'm talking to about it, um, maybe it is just saying, hey, that was kind of kitschy and fun and wasn't the design great and too bad things don't look the way they did in the 60s <laughs> anymore. Or maybe we're sort of putting that conversation to the side and we're saying, well, okay, what, what about this story is relevant now? So maybe the nostalgia is is less important than just saying, what's the story? What about the acting? What about the idea behind this? And and what was it about a conversation that was being had between a couple of writers in 1967 that is still worth talking about now in 2016? Okay. So I, I don't think we ever can escape the nostalgic aspect of it. I, I don't think we can totally shut that out of our minds, but depending on the kind of, of discussion you're having around Star Trek, it's going to be of more or less emphasis. Now, that's a fair point. And Jeff, you know, you've 
you've been steeped in the original series for a long time. I know that you're a fan of all Star Trek, but it always comes back to the original series for all of us. Has that nostalgia been able to color your or influence your love of the rest of Star Trek, or does it still pretty much maintain its high shelf status as when you first saw it? Well, everything is kind of filtered through a lens of how does this compare to the original? Uh, You've got uh, even the most recent shows, Enterprise, Voyager, all of them, you still have comparisons, and rightfully so, against the original, because that's where it all began, and that's what, you know, the uh, the basis for everything comes from that. You know, without the original, you know, there'd be nothing else, and we were talking about collectibles and stuff. I mean, I, I get the uh, subscription to the Eagle Moss miniatures, and there's no way that I would be getting those if I didn't have the nostalgia to the original, and just getting these little collectibles, you know, little tiny, you know, uh, ships and putting them up on the shelf if I didn't want to have them to look at to say, hey, this was, reminds me of that episode or, you know, and it always reminds me of something. And it's also about these shows, they're 50 years old, but they are still relevant today. You know, the stories are just that good and they were, there's always something new that I can find when I watch them again over and over. You know, uh, before I close out this subject, I think that the original series has very much positively impacted all of our lives. And one of my most treasured memories is meeting my best friend in college because of Star Trek. I was, I had one of those TV VCR combinations, very cheap, went to Walmart, as most college students do. And I had three videotapes, three VHS videotapes. I had Arena, I had Doomsday Machine, and I had Mirror Mirror, the old Paramount VHS tapes. And Arena was on. My best friend Todd and I didn't even know each other. We were living in different dorms, and he was walking by to some friend's party, and he stopped, and he goes, are you watching Star Trek? And I go, yeah. And he goes, you mind if I watch with you? You know, I was like, I, I, I love Star Trek, and I haven't met anyone around here that, that I could admit that I love Star Trek. So I said, yeah, sure, come on, hang out. And that was it. That's what Star Trek means to me, that it means all of these different friendships like you, Larry, and John, and Jeff, and all the people that I've met. That's what Star Trek means to me. It has come through the original series more than most, but that's a good memory for nostalgia. And now I'm going to have to shift gears a little bit and ask all of you, has nostalgia for the original series interfered in any way with your appreciation for Star Trek in general, especially what's happening today? And John, I'd like to start with you. You know... Yeah, this is a risk that that you go down this rabbit hole of always comparing something to the past. And I I just want to respond to uh, something that Jeffrey said, you know, um, to him and I think to a lot of people, it it all starts with the original series. For everybody on this podcast, it all starts with the original series. I think it's also incredibly important that people come to Star Trek from new and different starting points. I love it that I talk to people who say like, I never watched anything until I saw Enterprise. That's a great never, point, John. No, that is really you know, a great point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool because you get to re-experience those shows or those movies from a totally different perspective. Um, for as much as we may talk about love or hate the J.J. Abrams movies, I love to talk to people who have only seen those movies. I especially like to talk to them if they decided to go back and watch something else mm-hmm. because they were curious. And some of the kids you know? at the high schools that I work at, uh, they 
never saw Star Trek before they saw those movies. Yeah, right, right. And, and hopefully there's a chunk of them who have gone back to catch anything, mm -hmm. whether it's Next Gen or Enterprise or the original, whatever the case may be. Um, so, but I, I think that's a risk that we have is that, that if we get too serious and too divisive about saying, well, it all goes back to this particular one. You know, Norman, you and I talk about James Bond a lot. And we've had this conversation before about, um, well, there's Sean Connery and there's Roger Moore and there are Bond fans who sort of get together and challenge each other. And before before the new guy says anything else, they want to know, well, who's your favorite Bond? And they're sort of sizing you up right. based on that. Right. And I think that's a really unfortunate thing. Yes, like, because, can I talk to you if your bond isn't the same bond as me? <laughs> right. Yeah, can right, we have that right. conversation? Yeah. Right, right. And, and you know, you absolutely should. And absolutely, you should be able to have a conversation and appreciate the differences. You may like those differences or dislike those differences, but it's incredibly unfair to, uh, to shut people out because they came at it from a different starting point than you. Mm -hmm. Because for that matter, we wouldn't be talking about the Bond movies anyway. We'd just be talking about a set of books and then those started and those ended and that's it and that's the end of that history and that that would be a really unfortunate thing um for me you know all that said for me the single biggest roadblock that i've had uh regarding nostalgia and star trek is in watching star trek into darkness you know um i i was a big advocate for Star Trek 09. And, and I feel like I still am. I feel like there's a lot that I love about that movie. And there's a lot to really defend about that movie and, um, and feel passionately about that movie. Um, it, it's hard to argue that Star Trek Into Darkness is not a well-made movie. I think it's certainly well-made. I think the actors are great. Um, I think there are great moments in that movie. But I sat there doing what Bob Orsi accused me of doing, which was playing the home game in my head. And the home game was, I've seen Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan is one of my favorite movies. I know these lines of dialogue, and I'm saying them along in my head. And I take it a step further and say, I don't think you're being very clever by just putting those same lines in somebody else's mouth. You know? So that's a moment where maybe you can call it nostalgia, but maybe you can also just call it being uh, a, a fan of film. I'm somebody who saw a movie that I thought was really powerful and kind of committed that powerful moment because it, it had a lot of emotional impact. And then when I saw somebody else try to play that emotional moment, and to me it felt like it hadn't been earned, then I shut it off. Then I went back into this, well, the original did it better. And I never mm -hmm. want to be that guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy just to say the original did it better. Yeah. But I, I, for some reason I can't get past that reuse remix particularly of emotional moments you know an homage is one thing but but to reuse and re remix an emotional moment that came before and honestly it's part of the same conflict that i have with my enjoyment of the force awakens because i sit there and i watch it and I go i know what jj did there mm -hmm. he he found the moment and said i'm gonna pull that moment and just reinsert it over here and hope that you didn't catch me or bank you know? on the fact that the nostalgia is going to work in his favor Right, 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 right. Yeah. So uh, it, it's tough. I am all for recasting, recreating, taking bold new directions. You know, uh, it's one of the things that I go back to Star Trek 09 and I say, you want to blow up Vulcan? 
blow up Falcon, do it. That is a big, bold thing to do. That has a lot of impact for everybody in that universe. Now follow up on it. Now tell us why that was important. Let's see the impact that that had. Um, I've had arguments with friends of mine about uh, uh, music where, um, you know, the, the Doors, one of the all-time great bands, and I love The Doors, and, you know, Jim Morrison, of course, died at the age of 27 in 1971. But I got the privilege of seeing The Doors of the 21st century, so Ray Manzarek and, and uh, John oh. Densmore yeah. playing, uh, and Robbie, and Robbie Krieger, Krieger, actually. Yeah. Um, Playing that music, and to me, yeah, it, it wasn't Jim Morrison because there's no way I could see Morrison, but the music was more important than me seeing a particular person sing that music. The music is is bigger. The music has a life of its own, and I don't want that music to die. So that's what I, I love about Star Trek, being able to reinvent itself and getting new people to come, because Star Trek is bigger than just the original series, and it's bigger than just William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. I want the stories to, to to carry on, and I want the idea to carry on. So if my biggest complaint is that I get really worked up about Kirk yelling, uh, I'm sorry, Spock yelling Khan in a new movie, then I still have 700 and something, something, something other hours of entertainment to fall back on. And I also have my anticipation of the next thing, hoping that it's even better. <laughs> you know? No, I agree. And... As much as I want to ask every single one of you that same question, because we are dealing with a very controversial topic here, I want to ask Larry this next question, because I think that this is probably going to be the meat and probably the most discussed point of this podcast with all of our listeners. And I'm taking a little bit of a risk here, but risk is our business. <laughs> Dumb, dumb, dumb. Yes. <laughs> so, Larry, I'm going to ask you because I think that you are our in-house veteran for this podcast. And because nostalgia is a certain essence and certain element with original series fans and Star Trek fans today, especially the fans that claim to be fans since they've seen it from the beginning, the 50-year-old fans. The question I want to ask is, Gene's vision and what does that mean today in terms of when people use it as a shield or as a way to justify why they do or do not like what's happening with Star Trek. Because every single time now that I see something dripped into the media from the newest trailer beyond to CBS in 2017, the first reaction that I see in social media, and yes, it's a very concentrated, small probably percentage of fans, but probably the loudest, it's always about, it's not Gene's vision. It's not what Gene wanted. Gene this, Gene that. And I think the only person that would really be able to answer that would be Gene himself. But what is your interpretation of that? Well, I, the way you had this question phrased, uh, Gene's vision versus uh, you know, a loss of Idic. Well, Gene's vision, Gene, what is Gene's vision? To me, Gene's vision is about... Is Idic? I mean, to me, this is almost like framed as a false choice. It's like, no, it's it's you you can have both. Gene's vision is Idic. Gene's vision is if we respect each other, if we respect each other and what we've accomplished, and and Idic says we don't just respect each other, we delight, we don't just tolerate each other, we delight in our diversity. 
so much would <laughs> so many ills and issues would just be washed away and cast aside as as being divisive you know points and i i mean aside from the fact of people people you know getting their panties in a wad over a trailer rather than seeing the final you know, comment yes but seeing the final product you know the the lead in but that's what that's what media is about now we have to do that that's also where we miss having a weekly show because they're so busy cranking out you know maybe not 26 anymore but 18 or 20 or maybe whatever episodes we're so busy keeping up with the latest thing that we don't have these two years and three years in between movies to get all upset about these kind of factors but i mean gene's vision was we will have a we will survive we will have a hopeful future we will outlast our problems because we are smart we will not succumb to prejudice and ignorance and fear we will rise above all that and be, we're partly doing that because we are finding the strengths from each other because we are celebrating our diversity not going back into the cave so you know it, it, it's the same thing as it's politics it's anything you can get people sometimes i think people get into their rut and their comfort zone and if everybody would just take a breath and take a step or two back and get out of the trench or out of their rut um you know we'd all be better off for it but that's human nature and i don't know what we can do about it but in, at least as far as fandom and trek fandom circles that's what i mean that's what i've i didn't set out on a mission to be this way don't you know to be the I don't know, the cyborg of <laughs> of fandom or something. <laughs> Good God, that just popped into my head. But that is a great but, reference. But it just I, I just I, it, here's the thing. The first time I was ever introduced to message board talk about nostalgia. I had friends that had a modem in nineteen eighty nine. And they were like, Oh Larry, look at this, there's this new Phytonet and and uh, whatever, whatever and there's these and then one of them is Trek and it's like a really big part of it. You know, like Rick Berman said, uh, Trek and porn built the internet. Uh, so there's these people and they're, and they're asking questions and they're arguing about the answer. And I bet you could like set them straight. And I'm, okay. So I sit down and I see two people, you know, just, they're not just arguing. It's like, it, it's where flaming was defined. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, okay. I'll here, I'll help these poor souls out. They're spending all this, you know, Sturm and Drang here arguing about this point, whatever it was. And I kind of jumped in and said, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. you know, just did, did a normal cannon smooth here for these people. And it was literally like I'd come back in a few days and see what was going on. And it was literally like people had gone, okay, now on this one, and it's like, they didn't, you know, it's like, you know, it was like, it, I hate, I love my Tellarites, but if you want to take the stereotype, they don't, you know, love to argue for a reason. They just want to argue. And so, I don't know, is part of that just built in about passionate people? They just wanted, you know, sports team fans do that. Politics fan nerds do that. Maybe it's just part of the human psyche. But, you know, yeah. it didn't, how much of a level we get down to. But to me, the, just posing the question, it's, it's um, I don't know, I, it is. It's just getting people to take that breath and step back and realize how wrapped up in their own personal blinded view of this. When the broadest definition of Gene's vision is that you, you should be. Now, that's not to deny criticism. There's always room for, like, legitimate review and criticism. Sure. But the yes. people, that just, like I said, mm -hmm. people that are just all in a wad about the trailer, it's like, guys, come on. Well, it's not, I mean, it's not just the trailer. I mean, we're talking like, it's been a trend on social media and, uh, you know, quote unquote social media. And, and Larry, you and I have had this discussion before that social media doesn't necessarily represent every single facet of fandom. Probably a vast minority. The vocal. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. And, but it's it's disheartening sometimes when you see 
any type of information that comes out, especially during the 50th, because we are on the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And then you see a statement come out, but all you really see are a lot of negative reactions. And a lot of them are like, well, this isn't Star Trek to me, or that isn't Star Trek to me. And as a fan of Star Trek, and as a fan of the original series and the tenets that the original series bring, I've always believed that if you're a true fan of uh, if you're a true fan of Star Trek, you'd be a true fan of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That's what sells us this this greater than you know the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I don't understand why people that say that they're original series fans from the beginning don't they just don't express that in their fandom. Well. The idea. Well, okay. For one thing, we are painting very broad strokes here, so yeah, uh, yeah. Sure. And so if you, yeah, but I mean, I'm, we have to talk about. Yeah. Generalities. So if you happen to see yeah. that trend, I mean, sometimes you know, it's like I said, it's the it's the get off my lawn, you kids factor, and it's why I was so paranoid that I had crossed some line when I was trying to sort out my own feelings about 09. and and as time has gone on, the other thing that I think I think Bob Orsi should get tons of credit because they very easily could have made Star Trek just the latest Batman or Sherlock Holmes reboot. You know, and part of it, and it was like I've said before, it was one of the few times when the commercial interests of CBS protecting 45, 50 years of, 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 of canon and the merchandise potential of that and people's emotional stake in all that. Uh, and yes, how that could be commercially applied, but how that coincided with a lot of fandom and, and kind of negated that, that feeling that people didn't want to give that way. I mean, I, you know, this whole thing about, oh, you're just not accepting, you know, you're just an old fogey who's not accepting JJ's Trek and all the all the new people. And I say kids, but there's tons of people who are new to, to Trek who are not 18 or 20, whatever. A lot of them have gone over. I used to say that was the sequel, secret evil plan was to get them all, you know, watching original or next gen or whatever and coming up. And I've heard from a ton of them who said they enjoyed all the new. They're so glad. I, I used to say that JJ was the, the best gateway drug Star Trek ever had. But whether they did or didn't. um, you know that we're all where we are at different points in our lives. My my point is, were the JJ movies true to this to to an aspect of Trek that I hope gets respect? Because we all celebrate the concept, we celebrate the characters, whether they're original or not. We, for the most part, the casting has been wonderful and the chemistry that they had. I keep winding up with all these C words, and I just want to make sure that, as much as I love to talk about the canonistas, <laughs> sometimes. That the respect for uh, Star Trek's continuity and background isn't lost. And it, for people that say, oh, that's a modern development, no, go back and read Bob Justman and Dorothy Fontana's memos where they're talking about – and they're making fun and they're hysterical. But they're still worried about keeping the names of the ship straight and what do we – you know, other – other Vulcan names for Vulcan – you know, read some of those memos. And Mark Cushman's books have got even more of them out now um, that we used to have just in making of Star Trek. But – you know, that concern was there at the beginning, you know, and it wasn't – and they were worried about how the acting – you know, Shatner and Nimoy had to portray these characters as not jokes. They had to believe in themselves, and, and Nimoy's genius is in, yes, I'm putting on these ridiculous ears that I'm really worried are going to ruin my career, but if I sell it, you know, if I make it, they will come, and they did. So I would just submit that that respect on an acting and a format level – and a, and a continuity level was part of that respect that the creators had for the audience, you know, that we want to we want them to respect us and we respect their intelligence. And that's been there all the way. And one of the ways that's manifested is what we call canon now. 
And I have now come to respect, not just get my head around the fact of why I mathematically reacted the way I do, totally respected Bob Orsi, I think, holding out in that circle. No, it's very important that we make this an alternate universe. Because they could have just, oh, no, let's just reboot it. We'll just have Nimoy play a Spock and yada, yada. We'll just, it's Hollywood. Let's just go. And um, and basically just paint this gesso right, over Right, right, right. Just, again, just yeah, do, you know, yeah. oh, it's a new Spider-Man every five years. It's a new Batman every five years. Who cares? We'll do a new right. origin story with, you know, the basics, but we'll we'll flip it. And the fact that they did take, as, as, as not a choice that I would have made, because what I, you know, even some of the veterans, Ira and Ron and some of them have said, oh, my God, I'd hate to do a series now because there's 700 plus hours of canon around my neck. And I just get very frustrated and disappointed and think they've jumped the shark, too. <laughs> because for one thing, I know the novel guys, the novel writers, all the, the fiction writer, you know, uh, uh, all of them. Uh, they do that and know they're not, maybe not screenwriters. Some of them are. But uh, one consultant, could, you know, I just want to say, turn a new crop of writers loose. Go tell your stories. The key thing is, you know, a format. But whatever you do, be true to that. The gene vision is not rocket science. It's kind of out there. It's, if you want to make it a problem, make it rocket science, then you'll get all tangled up in it. But it's pretty simple. And if you're really worried about the details, I hire me. I'll be a consultant. <laughs> hire any one of 10 or 15 people I know to be a consultant and change a word here. Or say, oh, this would be cool if you made this, this, and then get out of the way and let, you know, let the writers write and the producers produce. But, but to, to respect that, I don't think it's it's not rocket science. It's not hard. But still, we all get, you know, people get worried about it. And and it, in Hollywood, when it's a commercial enterprise and the way things can flow, all things can happen. But I still remain an optimist about about the beyond, and I remain an optimist since we have nothing to go on yet. On the new series, they're not necessarily have to be doomed, just because you know X number of years have passed by and and uh, and all that. It, it, it's all it's all in who's who's calling the shots and who's got the keys and what choices they make and what's their background. But um, but it's not the it's not the doomsday. So when you talk about nostalgia affecting how I view things, uh, I, I don't feel like I'm locked in. There's some core principles. I, I think anybody that takes a breath. Hopefully we'll get we'll get into the core and not the trappings, because it's easier to get the trappings wrong than it is to let the core and and uh, and, and you know just don't take it all on one person's shoulders. What whoever whoever does get the keys, don't you know find reach out and get the people that can help you and all that. But as far as fandom goes, um, I don't know. I don't know what we can do. My point a while ago was that we've had we've we've had a fandom like that since day one. So. You know, and we've had those hiccups of people a, getting their nose out of whack about things. And, and But time moves on. But it's an important thing that you said that everyone needs to kind of take a breath about this and just kind of let it, let it wash over you a little bit and really understand what's happening. Because this is Star Trek. We should be excited about it as fans. Having Star Trek continue in our lives is very important because the alternate is not having Star Trek at all in our lives. And I don't think any of us want that. So, but one of the things I actually wanted to transition to the next segment is something that you said, Larry, when you said that, you know, when, when Shatner and Nimoy and, and D Kelly, when they were doing this back in the sixties, I mean, they were really giving it their all, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't lost in space. Some, yeah, it wasn't lost. It wasn't a passing fancy. I mean, they were really giving it their all. And I want to, I want to start this segment called Hailing Frequencies Open because I think that being able to bounce back feedback from our 
listeners group and the Babel Conference is very important. And Dennis Costello, uh, he's um, one of the behind the scenes guys here at Trek FM. He does some editing for us. And he asked a really cool question on the Babel Conference about nostalgia. And he answered me. So I'm going to say something that some will probably find very controversial. In my opinion, the quality of the best of the original series was, in the context of its day, far higher than the best of any Trek that has come after. The original series had to work so much harder than any of the other incarnations of Trek that have come after. Star Trek could have been just another lost in space, mere entertainment, but the combination of the creative talents of writers, producers, Roddenberry, Kuhn, Fontana, Justman, DP, Finnerman, and all the directors, actors, production designers, costumers, etc., elevated it to the level of art. So I submit to you, Norman, that it's the art, true art, not the nostalgia that has kept so many people enthralled for so many decades. And I wanted to read that to you specifically after when you said Lost in Space, because yes, I think that's probably a part of the nostalgia that anchors people to the original series that when you watch it in earnestness, you really see how hard they're trying. I mean, Jeff, you and I have talked about this before, that it's not just, we're not just getting science fiction TV. We are getting something that defined a period. Yeah, I, uh, um, I I've talked to you about this before, and uh, yeah, we've we've said that the just the the effort that they went to on this it's just phenomenal. I mean, like we like we've said several times now, Lost in Space that was about the only other science fiction out there besides you know The Outer Limits or Twilight Zone, and there's just no comparison. Um, you know, science fiction really was not seemed to have been it from what i've seen and uh it didn't seem to be taken seriously on uh, television at the at the time and then comes star trek and it's taken very seriously and it was just totally different from everything else that i've seen from the period yeah, i'd like to actually finish up the generalness of this conversation with one last piece of feedback from the babel conference it's from dante hopkins and he said i've never not watched a new star trek because I was afraid it wouldn't measure up. I even gave J.J. Trek a fair viewing. I like making new connections, new memories. Star Trek is about going forward, and TOS, though not perfect, was very progressive for its time. Now, John, when you read a statement like that, what was your reaction to someone like Dante? And, and I find that very progressive and very positive as a statement because he keeps himself open-minded to investment infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you have to. You absolutely have to because, uh, as we know, the original series is limited by the boundaries it has. It's 79 episodes that ended nearly 50 years ago. <laughs> so um, that's, you know, it, we have to, as Star Trek fans say, there is more to it than just that. Um, I'm afraid that if you only limit yourself to those original 79 episodes, well, you know, you may find yourself very lonely at a certain point just pulling out those DVDs and Blu-rays again and again and again. Um, sure, Star Trek is very progressive, and it it certainly was and maintains a certain level of artistry. Um, I think I, I meet both of those uh, commenters half to three quarters of the way. Star Trek, the original series, was very progressive in the ways that it was progressive, and it was not. 
in certain ways. And Ken and I certainly have a lot of fun pointing those out. Um, and, and it's not because we're being particularly hard on Star Trek, but when you have a show that presented itself as this progressive look at the future, and there are things that it gets wrong, well, if we're still talking about it 50 years later and holding that up as an example of what humankind should strive for to be better than itself, then we have to point out the places where it got it wrong. We're, we're doing a disservice to ourselves and to Star Trek if we, if we don't point out those things. Um, there are other great shows from the 60s that are artistic as well. I would say that, the, you know, second only to Star Trek, in my estimation, is Twilight Zone, which I think is tremendous and has a lot to say about the human condition. And is even older. It also, it also, and is even older. And it has a lot of weird things to say about fate <laughs> just biting you in the ass no matter what. Um, but there is a tremendous amount of art and artistry to that show as well. People who work on TV shows like that when they're taking it seriously, they're all working hard and they're all trying to do the best that they can. Um, but, you know, we, we can't assume that just because we like it, that it always gets it right. Or just because we like it, it always achieves greatness. Sometimes it doesn't. But, but that's okay. You know, part of being a fan means that you sort of accept and acknowledge the places where it comes up a little short. That, that's fine, too. We had a lot of fun with a show like Spock's Brain, which certainly comes up short in many ways. But there's still something at the core to talk about. Oh, and we're so going to get into Spock's Brain later on. <laughs> I promise you that, listeners. I promise you that. Good. I, I want to kind of go back to something that you were talking about, Norman, with um, with the idea of Gene's vision. Um, you know, I, I should set up two email filters on my mission log email. One would be so that anything uh, that contains the word canon is uh, is rooted out of my inbox. <laughs> and the other one is Gene's vision it is just routed out of my inbox. Um, I, I think... I think those are terms that are useful only to an extent, you know. Um, we get hung up on a word like canon when really that is a tool for writers. That, that is a tool for writers and producers to say, what are the boundaries that we have? What can we do to keep our show within the format that we want to make? And that's for them. For us, it's another thing. For the, for the viewer, it's, it's another thing. It's just sort of, it's keeping it straight in your head. The Gene's vision thing, I really fear, turns into this kind of religious, quasi-religious argument. <laughs> it falls back on this no true Scotsman fallacy. If you know what that is, look it up. But it's a great thing to be able to use. We, we exalt this idea of, of St. Gene, of the, the arbiter of all that is Star Trek. And the problem is that Gene has not been here for the majority of Star Trek. Um, he passed away 25 years ago. We're at Star Trek's 50th. And even during the 25 years that he was around, he was not always hands-on involved in everything mm. that was produced under the name of Star Trek. There's a lot of great Star Trek produced and created and written by people who were not him. And Gene fought people who had some great ideas for Star Trek. I'm working right now on the episode of Mission Log for a family. Um, that was written by Ronald D. Moore, and it follows up the uh, the best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. Yeah. And 
I, I just uh, there's a show that uh, you know my my nostalgia for that show was one thing, but watching it again after the context of watching Next Generation straight through, I had a very different and very emotional reaction to this show. The, there was this uh, what do they call that when like precipitation comes from the eyes? I had a leak. I don't know what, but anyway, something happened. Weakness. Yes. The Klingons call it, the Klingons call it weakness. <laughs> yes. yes. Right. Right. No. Yeah. But something <laughs> happened. Something like that happened to me. Klingons while can't do this that. Episode. <laughs> and um, um, but this is a show that Gene fought tooth and nail to not have made, and it took Rick and Michael fighting for it to get Ron's script produced. Um. So, you know, the, there's a moment that is so crucial to understanding the characters that we know and love from Next Generation, but it would have been a very different show if it was still being produced the way that seasons one and two were produced, <laughs> which was produced very much like the original series was being produced under much, much tighter, much narrower confines. So... I, I agree with Larry here. When you say Gene's vision in this very broad general term, that means it's about humanity from Earth reaching out. And we've solved a lot of our internal problems and a lot of our petty kind of nationalistic and religious and social squabbling so we can achieve better things. That's great. That To me, that, that that's the beginning and end of, of vision. But when you talk about vision meaning something about what a particular character does or how a scene is filmed or or I, I mean, I'm absolutely broken down into hysterics when I see people talk about Gene's vision when it comes to business sense <laughs> about how how the franchise is actually handled as a business that 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 cracks me up Um I think it's important that we not whitewash any one or anything. This is how I want to wrap up your original point, uh, Norman. I think it's important that, that we not whitewash a person and and what that person contributed. We should celebrate what they contributed. We should also understand in reality how that worked. But then when it comes to our enjoyment of a show, you know, we should enjoy the show for what it is. We should enjoy the show for the way it speaks to us. But we also shouldn't whitewash it and say this every moment of every show is the single greatest, most important thing ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Because honestly, it may not be. It may not be. There may be something to talk about. There may be something to enjoy. But I I think we run this risk of of exalting it to too high a level where where we stop seeing it for what it is and what it was meant to be. Gene himself started all of his uh, speeches in the 70s and 80s by saying, I'm going to do what Star Trek always tried to do. We're going to entertain you. We're going to make you laugh. And every now and then we'll slip in a heavy idea or two. To me, that's the best of it. Entertain us and then slip in a heavy idea or two. And for the people who really are into the heavy ideas, and that would be me and Ken, certainly, and that's probably everybody here on this podcast, cool. And if the other thing that you're into is the the action and the, the space adventure of it, cool. Enjoy that, too. My show is probably not the show you want to listen to. <laughs> but, but, but please enjoy that, because I love a good phaser fight, too, you know? Or when, or when you're eight, you're eight years old and you're enjoying the phaser fights and the Kirk rolls, yeah. that's yeah. great. And yeah. when you come back when you're 15 or 16 or 17 and you see a little more 
And then maybe you come back when you're 30 or 40 or 50 and you see another level still again. Right, right, right. And that's, totally. you know, we're, we're talking about what, what's a, why is it, is 50 years old, how many television series, no matter how pretentious or what genre they are, very few series and entertainment properties rise to the level of a classic to the point where mm-hmm. people are still not only following them and enjoying them, but arguing and debating and hashing out and wanting to run off and do new, cre- new, new iterations in various media of them in that universe. Very, you know, that's very rarefied air or, or that lawsuits make news by being you know, the subject of that property. So, so there is something here and anyone that takes this on as, as fans analyzing or as creators moving forward, it's like, what is the essence? What is the essence going forward? And what are the, what are the, you know, what are the spines? What are the four or five major tenets of what makes a successful story? And people have, you know, like, that was the opening interview question for the original cast for 40 years. Uh, you know, what, what's, why has Star Trek been around so long? Or did she, I mean, but it's still, it's, it's trite, but it is still the key factor in all this. And it's as we debate and analyze and are we, have we gone over the line? Have we gotten too clenched up about something? Or the poor guys who are tasked with moving forward and creating new, new Trek. Just, you know, just know, you know, what are the basics? And I think, I think we've, you know, covered a lot of them here. And good luck to everybody who's who has the, who when they finally do hire someone to take the keys and run with the new series, um, you know I, I'm much more invested in the uh, in the outcome of the series than I am about these these movies. But that's just where I am because I care about the the piling up of of you know the the creation of of characters and and hopefully new new. What's weird about I was going to say this a minute ago too. The odd thing about the nostalgia aspect is if I'm reacting nostalgia at all. I'm not locked in and don't want – I'm not about seeing like Kirk Spot McCoy recast and rebooted. But I, I feel like and – and I don't see even Shatner, Nimoy, and even D. Kelly as holy. I am so thrilled by the paradigm that the next generation started because they could have rebooted everything. And when they went with the formula mm-hmm. and the paradigm of, no, we will honor the original guys and they will be in our universe. We're going to jump ahead 78 years I remember that specifically. By the time it came out and why I could not understand the people who were pissed and protesting um, that this was not Kirk Spock McCoy, that the fact that they had the paradigm of opening up the sandbox and even like multiple layers of sandbox, <laughs> mirror universes and Klingon war you know, dimensions and jellyfish dimensions um, now. But, but the fact that Star Trek did not mean those three guys on that one ship, now it can mean – this whole universe where this is the through line from Earth going into the future and you can you can go back and forth and you can do these different points. And the people that want to go back and recast start uh, original series, they want to have a new Kirk Data Riker because that's all they see of having a new Trek. It's like, no, go go do what Voyager and DS9 and Enterprise did and go find different characters. Go, go, go find different yeah. corners. Of this To me, that's one of the genius things of the franchise. The biggest single leap beyond the original creation was that now Star Trek and Roddenberry's vision can apply to all these corners that haven't no one's gone to dig in that corner yet. And so like go come up with a good concept and a good format and then go tell your stories. And you know, and if you fly it well, they will come. <laughs> you know, that's, if you make it they will that's, come. And that's my And that's a great point, Larry. A great point I mean, Larry. I mean, you're bringing it all the way back to accepting what you've just said versus having nostalgia be a factor that hinders people from enjoying what you just said. And as I'm wrapping up the show, I want to, I want to admit to something that 
it was really hard for me to come to terms with as a fan. I love the original series. I think that people that are listening to this podcast really understand that it is my it is one of my truest passions. And when I saw the very first trailer for 09, I literally said to myself, no mother, mother <laughs> way, way can I do this. Uh, yeah, no, I will admit that. Get off my lawn, fan kids. There's, there's, yeah. no, there's no way you can effing recast Kirk ever, ever. And my friends literally said, you know, Norm, if you're a fan, I'm going to leave this as the last thought is my final thought for tonight. My friend said, if you're a fan of Star Trek, you owe it to yourself to see where they have gone, where they have taken the franchise. Because one of my best friends, Tim, he pulled, he literally said, you know what? I don't care how much you need to drink for us to drag you to this movie, but you're going to go see it with us because eight out of your nine friends that know that you're a fan, they want you to come. We want you to come with us because you are the guy that leads this charge. And when I heard the very first sound bite of the Kelvin going through space, I was instantly sold that this movie was being done right i don't know why it was just some type of spiritual movement where i trusted the fact that where it's going but i will admit as a tos fan i was like no 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 no. you are not doing star trek with kurt spock and mccoy recast how dare how dare you do that but i was proven wrong i think i was proven wrong in 09 and as much as i love into darkness i know some people haven't uh enjoyed it as much i do uh, enjoy that and Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is my favorite film of all time. So I can forgive and accept what happened there. That's just that I, I can't thank you guys enough for, for being on the show tonight because this is such it's such a difficult topic to topic out because we love Star Star Trek redlines our passions. I mean, I think that's pretty honest to say. And it's hard to kind of dial that back and really kind of take the the entire spectrum of what is going forward and accept that sometimes because like 09, we have a reaction to that. With Into Darkness, we have a reaction with that. With Beyond, we have a reaction to that. With 17, we'll have a reaction to that. But I think for all of us, and I hope I can speak for all of us as good stewards of Star Trek as a property, and for all of you listeners out there who believe that Star Trek needs to continue we need to embrace the fact that Star Trek is about infinite diversity and infinite combinations. I think that if for anything, that's what Gene really meant and that's the vision that really needs to be held accountable, the infinite diversity and infinite combinations as you apply it to your fandom from 1966 and all the way through to 2017. So, guys, it's... It's been my greatest pleasure to be able to have all of you on the show tonight and to talk about how nostalgia weighs in on our fandom. But that's not the only thing that we've been talking about this week. And there are so many great topics that Trek FM has been covering. So here's a quick look at some of the things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. It would be a lot of fun to be able to MST3K an episode like Arena, <laughs> which who doesn't love poking fun at a rock throwing Gorn? I mean, come on, you know. Can you find a rudimentary lathe? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that on the Babel conference today because Guy Fliegman from Galaxy Quest is the greatest character ever. Earl Grey. 
this 547 meter long 32 deck 502 uh, 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 crew uh, uh, member. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The orb. He requested, you know, a Bajoran officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose. You know, he understands you make this their own. We can't I'm glad just... he did it on purpose. I could see him like accidentally requesting a Bajoran officer. <laughs> oh man, I, I checked the wrong box on the form. Damn. <laughs> to the journey! Benjamin and Kira, they would never yeah. touch like that. No, that just would be really unnatural and weird for them. But for Changwei and Chakotay, it's very natural. It's very comfortable. It's like slipping into a warm bath and hopefully Q's not in it. Commentary, Trek Stars. I just finished a book on Audible that was recommended to me by some other people here on the network. Yeah. It's called uh, Weapon of a Jedi. They steered you right, Mike. Mm, nope. The 602 Club. And it's literally like the first page after the introduction. And it says, hey, here's the three factions, the New Republic. They don't want to commit to a full scale war with the uh, First Order. So they allow and back Princess Leia to create the resistance. And I'm like, oh, OK, that makes total sense. Like it took me t- one minute to read. Women at Warp. She's the communications officer first. She can be Spock's girlfriend second. So how do you think people would respond if you said, describe who Carol Marcus is after seeing this movie? Uh, she looks nice in her bra. Meta Trex. I looked it up and ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up breca and it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside. And that, listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So before we leave you tonight for this podcast, I would like our very own Mr. A. Taz to let all of our listeners know about how they can access all of the avenues to Trek.fm all over the internet and across subspace. Well, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes, and it helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. Now, one of the ways that you can help extend your fandom through Trek FM is through a program called Patreon.com. Now, Patreon.com, what that does is that allows you to help us support all of the shows and all of the programming and through funding uh, to help us continue all of the great content that we provide for you. Patreon.com slash Trek FM is the portal for you to be able to become an associate producer or to become some type of supporter through the network And there are so many different avenues and so many different opportunities for you to be able to do that. One of the coolest things and one of the most popular levels of fandom that people invest in is called the Patrons Roundtable. It's $15 in terms of your investment of supporting Trek FM through Patreon.com. It happens twice a month, one with Will Wynn, our content coordinator, and my co-host on Warp 5, and the other with Christopher Jones, our network and showrunner. That is just extremely important for a lot of our fans to be able to participate and actually understand and how fun it is to 
be part of a podcast. So please take a look at that. Please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. Find a way that's comfortable for you to donate, to be able to extend your fandom, and to be able to support all the different types of shows that are being hosted here on the network. Also, if you'd like to support Trek FM and wear your fandom on a t-shirt, on a hoodie, on your phone case, you can find all of these great types of peripherals and all these different types of merchandises on redbubble.com. So just go to redbubble.com, type in Trek FM in the search field, and you'll find all these great designs designed from our very own art director, Aaron Harvey, who's done a fantastic job creating this great vision, this visual aesthetic for Trek FM. We'd love to see you post photographs of it on the Babel conference. Send us a Twitter, send us an Instagram, or whatever the kids do nowadays, but enjoy that. It's fantastic. He's put in so much great effort on it, and it looks great. You will look fantastic supporting Trek FM. And I'd like to thank our associate producers for Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts and Richard Wrestlers. Thank you so much for helping out Trek FM through all of your support through patreon.com. You can find Renee on Twitter at mres underscore 1701 and Richard at rut8972. Now, before we go, I would very much like this illustrious panel, this group, this A-team that I've put together for Trek FM to be able to let you know how they can get in touch with you or you can get in contact with them across hailing frequencies. And let's start with Dr. Trek first, because I know that Portal 47 is very important. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, um, very thrilled the way Portal 47 has taken off, doing, doing, doing a lot of what everybody's doing online here, but w- through several different media. And one of them is instead of a podcast format with bandwidth, a teleconference where we have more people on with, with guests and discussion. But um, uh, going to have the number one stand-in for all seven years of DS9 uh, is our next telebriefing guest this month, Robin Morselli. But um, I've been really, really thrilled with that. So yeah, Portal 47. But the hub of everything is still LarryNimichek.com and at LarryNimichek on Twitter um, and LarryNimichek's Trekland on Facebook. The, the 50th year is shaping up to be insane. I just found out from Terrace Cassidy that we have 24 coming on the tour this year where we have had about a dozen the first two go-rounds, so leading in the Geek Nation tour. So I just – everything has been crazy. The, 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 the 50th anniversary convention in Vegas this year is selling out tickets and rooms, and they're scraping around. And just all over the country, there's just this excitement and fandom, and we've, we've had this interesting discussion tonight about nostalgia and all that. But I, I still think the, the positivity is still out there because everybody's just uh, – we've had such a fallow time that people have things to debate and talk about now, so – you know, so it's out there. But I would want to say one more thing. Um, a lot of my projects, Connor Rath is still going. We are doing that. The network, Chris and the network, have been great to always kick off and put in a mention for Enterprise and Space. And for anybody that's not looked at that and, and Patreon guys and all that, Enterprise and Space is asking everybody out there who's driven by nostalgia and also with an eye on the future, as little as a one-time $20 donation become a virtual crew member, your name is on a chip, you're flying on a wonderful project in five years that's not only the original idea of putting over 100 uh, students from around the world from K through grad school's projects on an orbiter that's a unique design, named Enterprise, the first Enterprise in space for reals, but that has now attracted over a dozen aerospace partners who have pledged in-kind $27.5 million. 
and we're going after other partners and grantees and all that. Uh, Rod has given uh, Rod Rodberry has given a gift already. We have endorsers on the page. We're just asking if you know people around the world, everybody who's listening in, just bop over. Plop in your $20 or more, but $20, you get your certificate, you're on a board, you're aboard. Um, we put some new perks up. But do that sooner than later. We're using a travel budget now to go out and start collecting private donations, uh, private large donors and grants and things. So that's where the project is now. You can read all about it. It's enterpriseinspace.org. Again, I thank Chris the network for saying that every time. But uh, just as kind of personalizing it and bringing it home, that's where the project is right now. And would really appreciate everybody out there when you're recovering from the holidays and looking forward to this crazy year and all the exciting stuff going on to maybe find time to make a make a help out there. I, I appreciate it. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you, Larry, in, in Star Trek Las Vegas, and that's going to be a huge event. If you haven't invested in a ticket or your flights or your hotel rooms, please do so now. The earlier is better because a lot of that's going to be filling up real soon. Star Trek Las Vegas... It's the 50th, so that's, it's going to hold a lot of special marketing power for a lot of people. It's not the 49th, it's not the 48th, it's not the 50th, it's the 50th. The anniversaries have, you know, these, these round numbers are just very appealing to people. So, and I know who's going to be there too in the 50th, and that's going to be Mission Log with John Champion and Ken Ray. So, John, would you like to let all of our listeners know how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, if you want to see me really exhausted for a week, come to Vegas in August. That'll be... Absolutely the best way to catch me. Um, no, uh, thank you, first of all. I really, I thought we were just getting warmed up. So uh, if we've got another hour, then we should just do this again. Um, you could reach me at Mission Log. The best way to find me is missionlogpodcast.com because that's got links to everything. Our Facebook page, our uh, Twitter account, and on the page itself is very active with comments and, uh, and conversation about our shows. Is where you can find discovered documents that we post to kind of sometimes go along with an episode, sometimes not, sometimes just a, a random cool find that we'd like to share with everybody. Um, yeah, uh, so find us there, missionlogpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Thursday. Awesome, John. Thank you so much. Thank you, both you and Larry, for being on. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on a variety of different ways. You can go to trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. You can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm, and please leave us a voice message. We love voice messages. We love our hailing frequencies to be filled, so please do that. You can also find us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. That's our Facebook listeners page where we have a lot of great feedback. It's a great destination for a lot of the listeners to be able to express their fandom. So please type in B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Now, before we go, Jeff, please let our listeners know how they can contact you are Mr. Ataz through all the different ways through the internet. And well, if you don't media. have access to an Atavicron, you can reach me on Facebook. Um, I'm on the Babel conference pretty much every single day um, throughout the day. I check it uh, frequently and I post things almost daily. Um, and I'm also on uh, Twitter at uh, Harlander and I have the ever popular uh, trekopedia.com the grand unified theory of Star Trek and uh, last time we were talking about I've been working on a a timeline uh, kind of a spreadsheet of every episode movie um, 
novel, comic book, game, everything all together in one timeline. And today I just updated it again uh, right before the show. So it's current from the Big Bang up through the cage. Um, it's uh, still very much a work in progress. Yes. Yes, the the yes. event, uh, roughly five billion BC uh, up through uh, twenty two fifty four. No mean feat, ladies and gentlemen. So that's a lot of work. I think you'll get a lot of great value out of that. So please visit that trekopedia.com and let Jeff know what you think because he's worked very hard on it, and I think it's a great resource for everybody who's a Trek fan. And finally, you can find me on Twitter. That's Norman Lau. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. I'm, I'm on the Babel Conference here and there. No, I'm actually on the Babel Conference probably more than I speak. But that's where I love listening to you guys. I love engaging with you. Please let us know how you're enjoying Standard Orbit and how we can make this show the show that's a destination show for you. And lastly, along with being a host and an executive producer for Trek FM, I am also a proud sponsor through Patreon. That's how I got my start here, and that's how I love supporting the network through all of the programming options that I have there. So I just want to say again, thank you, John. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Jeff, for being on here. I know that the topic is an interesting topic to talk about. Uh, sometimes it sparks a little bit of controversy. And yes, John, I think we were getting started. And it's definitely, a con it's, it's definitely content that can be revisited because I don't think that there's an answer for this. I just think there's illumination. And with that, I'll leave you with Jeff to exit us out of the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.